I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture that Ryan's going to be preaching from this morning. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You pray with me. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is so accessible to us, that we get to know it and hide it in our hearts. God, we pray that as you say, your word will pierce us to the heart, and that's not necessarily a pretty thing, but we prepare our minds to hear your word, to allow your spirit a deep work within us, um, that we may know you better and follow you and walk in light of your truth better. Thank you for your word, and thank you for this church. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, good to continue in this series through the book of Colossians, book in the New Testament we've been walking through uh, for several weeks now. And, and, and this week, just like every week, we're, we're, there's a lot of things that we could hone in on this passage. But, but what I've just been prayerfully considering is the thing that is most crucial and important for New City Church to hear this morning. And I think it's this. I think it's this idea of liberty and freedom in the gospel, that Jesus has come to release the captives and to set us free from, from religion, to, to give us the liberty to live in his kingdom and to serve him with all that we are. I can remember this moment like it was, it was yesterday, uh, although it was, it was 20 years ago. Uh, I grew up in the country, you have to remember, in central Kentucky, and, and I was riding in the back of one of those four-wheeler like truck type things. It's called a John Deere Gator, okay? And, and the way this thing is situated is there's a couple seats up front, and those seats have seat belts with them. And uh, so my, my two friends that were Christians that, that had recently led me to Christ took those seats and were buckled into the seat belts, and they insisted that I ride in the back where there were no seat belts. And so we're driving through these trails and going, you know, as fast as that little thing will go, and uh, we're, so we're riding, we hit this massive ditch, and it, it literally almost throws me out of the back of it. And, and at that moment, uh, I revealed to them my expansive vocabulary with words that were unfamiliar to them. I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that it was a string of four-letter words. And at that moment, they immediately slammed on the brakes, and I slide up into the front of it. And they, and they look at me, and they say, Something that, I'll, that just stuck with me. I'll never forget it. They said, man, you can't talk like that. You're a Christian now. And at that moment, it was news to me. So I took a mental note. Christians 
don't cuss, well, at least in front of other Christians. <laughs> and it was one of those moments that, these guys probably don't even remember it, but it was one of those moments that, that I won't forget because I, I, I started to learn this this kind of extra biblical idea that Christians are free and forgiven as long as we can manage to keep it between the minds. Can you, can you think of something like that in, in your life? You, we could call it a freedom-shrinking moment. Now, I'm not advocating the use of four-letter words in your day-to-day vocabulary, but what I am saying is, is that a lot of times we will add things to the truths of the gospel, and we will, we will call them gospel will say, if you do this, then you really know God. Or if you live this way, then you really you know, can be secure in Jesus. And there are things that are, <laughs> that are additional things to faith in Jesus. Jesus said it's by faith alone through grace that we're saved. Well, Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 2. And these things happen when we try to manufacture the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Now, did my language need to clean up? Absolutely Vulgarity is a sin. But in that moment, I was learning a habit, the habit of religion, of, of trying to say things and do things to portray a certain life that had not yet come upon me through the power of the Spirit. And so when we think about this, I, I think the reason that we do that is because we, in our minds, we tend to correlate sinfulness with the absence of Jesus. Let me say that again. In our minds, we tend to correlate sinfulness with the absence of Jesus. But but here's the simple truth of the gospel. Now, now, don't miss this. While you were still sinning, Christ died. Let me say it again. While you were still sinning, Christ died. What that means for us is that his, our sin does not keep his love from us. Does the gospel change us from the inside out? It does. And it's a process for the rest of our lives. But I think as Christians, a lot of time what we do is we, we try to wing ourselves off of God's grace. We try to get to this place where we say, you know, I don't need as much of God's grace as I needed last year. And this is kind of what Megan prayed about a few minutes ago in Luke chapter 7, which she, she took one of the texts I'm going to use today. I just want to make note of that. I had it in my notes first. But we, we, we tend to correlate sinfulness with the absence of Jesus. And, and when we try to wing ourselves off of God's grace and we, we get to this place where we don't think we need God's grace anymore, I can tell you one place that you will not be if that is your life and that is your prerogative and how you live, and that's with Jesus. You won't be in heaven. Because there's not a day of our lives that we don't need Jesus. There's not a day of our lives that we don't need his grace to cover us, to wash us, and to renew us. And with that being said, our, our big idea for where we're going today is this. No one can disqualify what Jesus has made new. No one can disqualify what Jesus has made new. And I, and I just want to make two big overarching points for this text that we're looking at today. First one is this. Grace frees us from the bondage of religion. And I'll, I'll define that and what I mean by that. And number two is this. Grace trains us to live a life of liberty. So let's dig in. If you've got a Bible to Colossians chapter 2, and I'll remind us of the text that Megan read a few minutes ago by reading it for us. Grace frees us from the bondage of religion, Colossians 2, 16 through 19. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come. 
But the substance, yeah, the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. What, what does this passage mean? What, what, what's going on? We've got to remember this is, a, this is a letter to a church or some churches in, in Colossae, and there's a city nearby called Laodicea. This letter was given to them from Paul because there was some trouble that was going on in the church. Now, here's the deal. These were Christians, professing believers in the church, that were, they had a new doctrine that they were trying to teach the Christians that had been there for a while, the ones that had heard Epaphras, that had been led by him, the ones that started the church. And they're trying to, to get them to, 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 to see, you know, what next level Christianity looks like. And so uh, these members are, are what you would call the spiritually elite. Now, these, these are the people that everybody wants to be like. And, and they present themselves as these spiritual Giants, right? I mean, you know the type of person that I'm talking about. Uh, you know, you see their life, and you think about your life, and all you want to do is go eat a box of Twinkies. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they're just so far away from your life and the way that you, you walk with Jesus, and it just seems like there's this huge gap. And, and, and it doesn't seem like there's any way that you could imitate or replicate the life in Jesus that they have. Well, these... These folks added to the, the narrative of the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, received and imputed to Christians by faith alone, through grace alone, by the word of God alone. They, they were adding to this because I think they probably wanted to be helpful. Let me just show you guys the, the right way to live. I know you guys are kind of in the elementary ages, the ABCs of the gospel. Let, let us show you the rest of the alphabet and how this uh, is supposed to go. And so what they did is, is, is they, they said, if you really want to be like us, which of course is like Jesus, these false teachers said, then there's, there's food and drink that you need to stay away from. That's first thing. That's how it was in Judaism. That's how it is in the church. Certain things you can't drink, probably wine. Certain things you can't eat, probably red meat. You know, things like that or, or, or whatever. I don't know the, the details of what they would be, but, but they say that there's this, this diet that you need to maintain. And there are these festivals that you need to attend each year, maybe much like the Jewish festivals uh, that, that Israelites would come into Jerusalem uh, for. And then there's these certain weekly Sabbath rituals you need to, to do if you really want to be like Jesus, which of course is like me, they say. And, you know, I, I imagine that this list would, would, would be thinking through these requirements as a, as a checklist. And you know how it is, sometimes in life you get to these junctures where you're like, I don't really know what God thinks about this. It's not really, he didn't really spell out in the Bible like what I'm supposed to do in this situation. And so it's kind of like life in the gray areas. What am I supposed to do in these moments? Well, these guys were the guys to, to help you. They'll show you exactly what you need to do. And, and so Paul, he, he quickly tells the church that if you listen to these guys and you adopt this legalism, this self-made religion, he says, get this, it's like living like Jesus never came. That's what it's like. He says, he says these things that they're talking about are a shadow. He says this in, in uh, 2.17, Colossians 2.17. 
but the substance belongs to Christ. So he said, it's like, it's like taking your life and going back before Jesus came and then trying to manufacture something that would look forward to Jesus, but he's right in front of your face. Now, have you ever, thinking about a, a, a shadow and a, and a distortion, have you ever been camping before and, um, you know, you got the campfire out there and then you got the tent set up and, and you're in your tent and all of a sudden, what happens? You hear a noise. You're like, oh, what's that noise? Did you hear that? And then all of a sudden you see a shadow, right? And it, it, looks, uh, it looks like a gorilla, right? But you zip open the tent and you realize it's a chihuahua, right? He's saying that the, the shadow is, is a distortion of who Jesus is. These, these, these rituals, these, these religious activities are missing the forest for the trees. He says, don't let people pass judgment on you, 2.16. Because what, what judgment does is it seeks to divide the righteous from the unrighteous. It seeks to separate you from the grace that you have in Jesus. And one of the things Paul says is, he says, they're trying to separate you from the head, which is Christ. He's the one that holds everything together. If you go and you try to add these other things to the equation, you're going to find yourself to be separate from Christ, cut off from Christ. You're united to Christ, and because of that, capital J judgment already occurred on the cross. So because capital J judgment already occurred on the cross when Jesus bore the penalty for our sin, why do we allow other people to make lowercase j judgments about us and for them to affect us. Now, we all probably struggle with this. The, the thing that comes to mind now is, you know, our kids are getting older and they're, you know, having friendships with, with people and things like that. And, and lo and behold, one of the friends will, you know, our kids will say something that hurts someone else and someone will say something that hurts our kids. And it's so tempting to let those words, like, cast judgment on your life. And, and it's not just kids, by the way. It's adults. We just, we just don't talk about it as adults as much. We just internalize it. But those judgments that are cast on us, we, we have a decision to make when those happen to us. When, we're try, when someone tries to define us by a statement or a, a blanket statement or something like that, and one of the things we tell our kids is, is this, it's up to you whether you want to, to let that statement define you or not. Like, things can be said about you, but they don't have to define you. Now, the only way that you can live that way is if you're secure in who you are in Jesus. So that's essentially what, what Paul is saying here in Galatians 2, 2.20 that we'll look at in a few minutes. He said, why do you submit to this? Don't you realize you've got the keys? <laughs> you, know? you don't have to submit to this lifestyle of death and bondage anymore because you have power in Christ. Now, why do we do this is the question. Why do we look for this checklist to, that, that, that holds us captive and keeps us in bondage? Here's the reality, is that religion is more comfortable to us than gospel. Always has been, always will be. It's something about our nature that we are more comfortable with religion than we are gospel. Now, you say, Ryan, what do you mean by religion and gospel? Well, there's this tragic difference in my mind between religion and, and gospel. And, and, and it's this. Religion says, here's what must be done to get to God. Now, these guys in the city of Colossae, these false teachers, these guys that were in the church, 
we're doing these types of things. Eat this, don't eat that. Go to this, don't go to that. Live this way, say this, don't say that. They were adding to this list of things other than extra biblical things that these folks had to do. And what it did was it, it, it gave them control. It gave them the corner on the market of grace. It gave them leverage. Religion gives you leverage. It gives you a sense of control. It makes you feel alive because it's something that you can control. But the gospel is, is altogether different. And the reason that it is is because here's what it says. Jesus has come to bring you back to the Father. Like, you, you made your system of try to, how to try to get to me, and, and you, you failed. You, you couldn't live up to it. And, and because of that, Jesus has come as the knight in shining armor to pay the, the penalty for your sin, but also give you hope to obey on your behalf, to make you want to bring you back to the Father. And, and, and religion is different because it's, this, it's, it's, it's like the parable of the prodigal son where the, the older brother in the story, if you're familiar with it, it's in Luke uh, chapter 15. There's these two sons. One of them uh, goes and, and he, he basically lives this licentious life. He says, give me the inheritance. I'm going to go blow it all. I know how to live that. You have no idea what you're talking about. Um, and the older brother says, he stays with his dad and kind of looks down his nose at his brother as he leaves. And, but the younger brother comes back sometime later, and the father throws this big party because he loves his son so much and he doesn't care how much it cost him. It was a great cost to the father. But then the, the older brother, he looks to the father and he says, you know, dad, how could you do this? Don't you know what he's done to our family name? Don't you know what he's, the, all the, all the, the expense he's incurred, not just financially, but just everything. Like our family's just a, a mess now, Dad. And the dad looks at him and he says, look, look, you've always been with me. All that I have and have ever had and ever will have is yours. You just gotta ask for it. And the older brother is never really satisfied with that. There's really no resolution with his story. That's religion. It's this facade, this veneer of a relationship without the heartbeat or the power of it. And that's what's prone to come into every church that's ever existed. That is what the enemy wants to use more than anything, is people within the church creating these systems of religion. And they can be very subtle that say, you've got to do this if you want to, to really follow Jesus. This is the type of people that we are. And, and, and the interesting thing about this is that the gospel shows us that the grace of God is like a wildfire. You cannot control it. You think about the people that Jesus intentionally pursues in the scriptures and the people that he rescues from the dominion of darkness. Like the, the sinful woman that Megan mentioned in Luke chapter 7. You know, there's this lady that comes in and Jesus is having a good old dinner with the Pharisee buddy, Simon. And, uh, and Jesus loves Simon. He loves this woman that barges in and and uh, he says, hold up, Simon, we're just going to put this party on pause because this woman wants to worship here. I know you can't believe that she's in your house right now, and that shows something about what you believe about me or what you don't believe about me. And then he tells the story of, like, who's the, if, if a guy was, for, uh, you know, had this debt of 5000 or a guy had this debt of 50000 he said, there's two different guys there. Which one would be more grateful if his debt was forgiven? And Simon says, um, you know, the guy with $50,000 debt. And he says, yeah, that's exactly it. Now, but you love me less. You think you've got less debt than she does. And that's the problem. That's what religion does. Is it tries to minimize your sin. And Jesus says, you don't have to do that because it's finished. I paid for it. 
Why, why, are you trying, why are you trying to minimize the sin and confuse and trick yourselves into thinking that you're better than you are? Because I had to do it all for you. It only keeps us from the grace of God. I, I love what Steve Brown says here. He's got a great book called Scandalous Freedom, if you want to delve more into this topic today um, that, I, that I read this week. And, and uh, he says this, the only people who get better are people who know that if they never get better, God will love them anyway. I mean, you think about that. I, I know your mind goes to, but, but we can't just sin. We, we don't have a license to sin. We don't understand the grace of God one bit if that's our response. Because God's love and God's grace. I mean, I wish I could see the rest of the narrative of the younger brother that came back in the parable of the prodigal son. I wish I could see all the things he did for his father's kingdom. Because I just know it was expanse, expansive. I know that he loved his father so much because his father loved him and he would have done anything to please him. That's what happens when you get set free by the gospel church. Second thing I want to look at here in, in these verses is, is the fact that grace trains us to live a life of liberty. Let me remind you of, of, of what Paul goes on to say to the church here in, in Colossians 2.20 and following. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to the regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they're used, according to human precepts and teachings, these, get this, have indeed the keyword appearance of wisdom. They look like the answer, these, these activities, these behavior mods. They look like the answer. But he says this, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the fish, flesh. They are not going to help you get better. If you think that working your way up to some type of a behavior mod is going to make you better in God's kingdom or is going to make you more loved by God, you're missing the point is what he's saying. Paul would say this another way in Galatians chapter 5. He'd say this, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm. Stand on that truth. You are free in Christ. And do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We are prone to submit to the yoke of slavery. We are prone to drift back into this man-made, self-made religion that ultimately oppresses the church and doesn't let us lean into the, the reality of our forgiveness and the grace we have in Christ. So, so Paul says, religion can't make anyone alive. It, it, it shows you that you're dead uh, so that you can see that life in Jesus is the only way that you can ever be made alive, is what, what he's saying here. He says, they tell you all this stuff that's not in the Bible, like you got to vote this way and, and not that way. Is that in there? Or they say, you shouldn't eat these things, they're not good for you, and, and you can't drink this thing over here, and you should only listen to, to this kind of music, and, and you, you really shouldn't get tattoos, and, and definitely don't watch Netflix. That's why, you know, we invented GodTube, okay? You know, like, Netflix, no, you know. And, 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 and silly you, you actually believe them. You actually believe that somehow this set of standards will make you alive. Silly you, you believed them. However, don't you know that you're going to see the same thing you've always seen, that no matter how much you try to change your life, you're going to come to the same crushing reality. You're dead in your sin and your trespasses. 
the only way to be made alive is in Christ. You'll see that the person that you, you voted for is just as wicked as the other person. They just hit it a little better. You'll, you'll see that no matter how clean you eat, your body's still finite and prone to failing you. You'll see that even though you don't drink, that you're just as much an addict of a bunch of other things that, that, that are not hot topic issues. You'll see that even though you only consume Christian media, that, that you still have lust in your heart and filthy language in your mind. And all you know is this. It shouldn't be there, and it is. Anybody with me this morning? Yeah, you, you just see these things in your heart, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know how to get them out, God. I don't know. I don't know what to do, and so we, we build these kind of structures and scaffolding to, to try to help us be set free, and we find ourselves in prison all over again. So the question is, when you get to that point, what are you going to do? When you get to the point when you realize no matter what you do and how you set up your life and how you can be set free, when you get to that point that you realize that you can't, what are you going to do? I, I think you've got three options. You can, you can go the, the legalism route, like these guys in Colossae did. Hey, let us build this structure that no one else can do. Like, we've got all of the cheat codes to the game, okay? We've got them all. But let's let them try to figure it out on their own. Or you can go the, the, the license route, which is which just, it, it's, it's the thing that the younger son did initially, where he found himself in a foreign country in a pigsty with no money, right? You can, you can do that. You can live recklessly. Or you can go this route that the scriptures call liberty, Liberty says this, that you really are free, but you got to figure out, and you got to learn, you got to let the scriptures tell you what it means to be free. What's the purpose of that freedom? So what I want to do right now uh, is I want to give us three, these are not uh, exhaustive, I want to just give three helpful principles of how to live in the gray areas in this life of liberty that Jesus has given us to. If it's not about eating this and not eating this, then what is it about? What should guide us in the gray areas of our lives that we find ourselves in often? The first one is this right here. Liberty, so liberty, let me redefine liberty. Liberty is what do you do in the gray areas of life? So there's a lot of things the scriptures are very explicit on. This is what, this is what the type of life that grace produces in you. But there are a lot of areas where we have question marks, Right? So what do you do in the gray areas? First one is this, liberty is more about others than it is me. Let, let me read a couple of, let me read a quote from Martin Luther on this. He said this, a Christian is perfectly, uh, is a perfectly free um, before the Lord of all and subject to none. So we're free. We see that in Galatians 5. He says, but a Christian, here's the other side of this, a Christian is, is, a, is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject of all, and subject to all. So yes, you're free but you're also free to serve everyone. Like that is what you've been set free for so that other people would see that there are no restrictions on God's grace to come to him. Now, Paul would say it like this in Romans 14. This is a very helpful uh, text. The whole chapter of Romans 14 is for what it looks like to live in this liberty. He says this, I'll read a few verses for us here, 13 through 15 and verse 20. He says, let us not pass judgment. There's that phrase again, seek to divide. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Like we're the church, we're one, let's live like it. But rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. 
but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. It's like you can say all day long that it's unclean, but if someone thinks it's unclean, it's unclean to them. So he says this, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. There's the key. Your liberty serves others as you express love. You experience love from God because you're living free from all of the stipulations and regulations that try to make us, get us back to God. But he says, but it's through the lens of love for others that we figure this out best. And he goes on to say this in verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Amen. How many times do I do that though? I'm free, you know, I don't care what these people say about me, and I'm destroying the work of God because I don't have any humility in my heart. He goes on to say, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. Now, this, this was obviously had to do uh, with, with the dietary restrictions and the, kind of the food ceremonial laws uh, of the Older Testament here. Now, we could, we could look at this with a bunch of other things in the church now, and I think you, you'll be able to translate. I'll give a few examples uh, in a moment. But the key to freedom and liberty in Christ is that we see it as a way to serve others and not serve ourselves. That, that's the key. Because liberty is often what divides the church. And it does this because of a lack of humility. A lack of Christ-likeness. So if our liberty in the gray areas is destroying the work of God, we're in sin. It's, simple, it's a simple fact. It's a simple fact. Liberty was given as a grace to the people of God to show that God's grace has a far wider reach than we can ever imagine. That's, that's what it was given for. When, when, when uh, Jesus told his disciples, you'll go into all the world and, and share the gospel, that blew their minds. And then when he, when he, came, in, when he, when he came right back before he ascended and he gave them the, 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 the Holy Spirit descended in, in Acts chapter 1 and 2, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, all Samaria to the ends of the, the earth. Now, what he was saying is all of those people don't have to become Jews to receive my love. And then in Acts 15, it comes back up because religion creeps in like it always does. And they say, no, 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 here's the deal. Okay, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols because that's like over-the-top offensive, okay? You're, you're free and, you know, you can buy it in the marketplace, but just don't eat, just, 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 just. Don't, don't be over the top, Jews, about, about, or Gentiles about this. Don't rub it in the, the Jews' face like that. Be, be, be wise with your freedom. Serve others with your, with your freedom. If our liberty ever becomes more important than the mission and purposes of God, we're off base. We're off base. Now, now I, I do want to say this quickly. Um, no matter where you land on the, the issues of, of liberty that we're talking about, the gray areas of life, um, your lifestyle offends Christians somewhere, someplace. I guarantee you. Your liberties will offend them. Um, so if you say, no, no, I mean, I, my lifestyle isn't offensive. Yes, it is. You know, you towed a gun. This guy doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't want guns. You know, you drink alcohol. This person's a teetotaler. You know, it, your lifestyle somewhere and someplace with liberty will offend other people. So it's not like, you know, your lifestyle will never offend other people. It will. The question is, what are you going to do when you see it? When you realize that you've made your brother stumble, how are you going to live inside of it? Now, the, the, the thing you've got to keep in mind, and the, the cohesion of the Holy Spirit that he gives us to live in the person and work of Jesus, um, it cuts both ways. It's not just let's not offend other people, but it's also if something is really troubling you, you have a responsibility in love 
to make that known to your brother or sister. How can they help you not stumble if they don't know they're making you stumble? Right? So we got to have that type of a community that's deep enough to, to, to look into the deeper issues and, and, and to go in love and humility to a brother or sister and let them know if something is really bothering us. I've, I've had this happen in my life, and it's been so beautiful. I've been on both sides of that, by the way. And it's, it's humbling, right, when you see, okay, my lifestyle is offending someone, but I thought I was free in this. But, but here's the deal. We're servants of all because Jesus has saved us. That's the reality for us. Secondly, conscious, conscience. There we go. That's, I always get those two mixed up. Conscience is king of liberty. Paul says this in Romans 14, uh, 5, and then we'll look at 22 and 23 as well. He says, one person esteems one day is better than the other. This came up in Colossae too about the Sabbaths. Uh, while another esteems all days alike. You say, here's the key. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He'll go on to say in verses 22 and 23, the faith that you have, we could, liberty, the liberty that you have, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Conscience is a word that we don't use often, but we experience daily, momentarily. Your conscience, if I could define it quickly, is the kind of the inner voice of your mind that is driven by what you believe to be true. So, so your conscience, the, 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 the rails that your conscience runs on, your conscience is is that it's, um, it's about what you're putting into your mind. You can convince yourself that anything is right, but the question is, is it true or is it not? So the, the key is, is, if your conscience is only as good as what's shaping it, is, is to fill our minds with God's Word. To fill our minds with God's Word and our consciences are like an extension of the Holy Spirit for Him to work in the gray areas of our lives. When, when we're in a moment and, and you make a decision here, but you wouldn't have made it over here, your conscience is guiding you because it is shaped by the, the Word of God and utilized by the power of Holy Spirit as you walk out life. So if you're, let, let me just say this, and he, he, mentions, he mentions this idea of whatever doesn't proceed from, from faith is sin. So let, let me just, he's talking about violating your conscience. So you're doing something even though your conscience is saying, yeah, you don't feel real great about it. And it's maybe a gray area. You know, so an, an example would be, let's just say you're drinking alcohol to fit in with someone, okay? And, and you are really uncomfortable with it, but you go on to get along. You're violating your conscience. You're in sin. Or let's just say this, you're, you're watching a movie or a show, and some of the scenes are really haunting your conscience, because of violence or sexual promiscuity or, or whatever it would be, but it's a thing that your, your friend group does or your spouse does or, or you, you know, you got older kids and your kids want to do, you want to watch it, you're violating your conscience. You're in sin because you're really not okay with it. You're just going along to get along. This is where we can get into trouble when we begin to push our conscience on other people. When we begin to push our liberty on other people. We begin to try to make them okay with the things that we're okay. And, and this is where as a Christian you've got to stand in those things, in love. And, and, and when you get to those moments that, that often divide 
the church or divide a group of people, you've got to walk in humility. Because the reality is, is that you might be in sin, you might not be in sin. Two people can do the same thing, and maybe one be in sin and one not be in sin. And it's all a matter of your conscience and what freedom to you means. Now, I'm not talking about the explicit areas, like if we were to talk about alcohol and you're getting drunk every week and you're in sin, because the scriptures talk about that. But I'm, but I'm talking about this idea of, 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 of stewarding our conscience and our, and our liberties well. Because the reality that he talks about in um, Romans 14.5 is that, um, and, and 22 is that our, our conscience and our liberties, there's something that we keep to ourselves. We don't, we don't parade those things around because you will offend people. But there will be moments when those when your liberties rub up against someone else's convictions. And it's important to just humbly talk to one another in those moments. Because we all, uh, it, it can include really condemning your own self. You're, you're free, but, but you got this inner prosecuting attorney that lives inside of you that just constantly tells you that you're not free. You're not free to pursue these liberties in certain areas. And it just is, is, is keeping you in bondage. Paul had a simple answer for this. 1 Corinthians 4, he says, listen, I don't even judge myself. I'm not worthy to judge myself because I don't have the credentials. I'm not a good judge of myself. I know that I'm free, and, and I, I don't think of anything that anybody's got against me, but I don't really know, but I've got to forgive myself because Jesus has rescued me. Some of you that are really hard on yourself need to hear that truth this morning. You beat yourself up all day long, and Jesus has set you free. Lastly, uh, Overconfidence with liberty can make us useless in God's kingdom. That's a strong statement, and it's a strong statement because I've seen it happen so many times. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and following. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. All things are lawful, Paul would say, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. You see, Israel got into trouble in the context of this passage. Israel got into trouble because they were too comfortable taking advantage of God's grace. They were willfully sinning. Sexual immorality was running rampant in in the community. And and the scriptures go on to say that uh, God judged them and most of them were overthrown. They had this confidence, like, yeah, we're good to go. We're the people of God. We're the Israelites. And in a day, or how, I don't know how long the time frame was, a lot of them were overthrown. They were judged. They died. They weren't in God's grace. Paul writes this for us so that we can see the danger of overconfidence in liberty. I want to challenge you to be confident in, more confident in the God of liberty than the fact that you're free, than in the, the privilege of liberties. Because liberty without humility is absolutely toxic. I've seen entire churches implode because of this. And we're not better than this. None of us are. This could happen to us. This is why he says take, take heed. Have, have a measure of sobriety about the way that you live your life, lest you fall. <clears throat> what makes your liberty in Christ useful to you and the world around you is when Jesus is at the center and your love for neighbor is not far behind. If, if we're in a place of believing the realities of liberty, so nothing is unclean for Paul, uh, without the God of liberty, Jesus, then we have no place to go but to be overconfident in liberty. 
So if you're not resting in Christ, you're going to fall is what he's saying. If you're resting in yourself, you know, I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, church thing, I'm now I'm going to live my own life. He says, take heed lest you fall. You might not be in Christ. That's a warning for us, isn't it? And that can come across through the way that we wear these liberties. So, so I just want to encourage you to, to, to ask yourself the question, am I eating, drinking, voting, posting in faith? Because if I'm not, I'm in sin. So you can take inventory on your life. But guys, we have the reason why God has given us so much liberty is because he loves the world so much. And he has given us every opportunity to share the grace of God with the world. This is why he tells us to serve our neighbors. So that they, Paul would say in, some, in, a, in, a, in one place, he'd say, you know, he becomes all things to all men so some might be saved. What would, it, what would it look like for us to live that way? I want to close with this, with this story. Six years ago, I was, I was on uh, the way home from Denver, Colorado. I just went skiing with a friend of mine that had moved away, and uh, it was just really good to reconnect with him. I, so I was getting on the plane. We'd skied. I was there for three days. We'd skied two of them. I was just exhausted. I mean, Colorado skiing is different than East Coast skiing. Let me just say that. I was just exhausted. And... Um, and so uh, uh, I was filled but exhausted, and the, the plane is half full. I'm stoked about that. I get up entire row. And then this family comes up. Uh, they have a few kids and, and a lady, and they sit across from me. And then, you know, um, her husband comes up. His name is JR, and he says, hey, can I, can I squeeze in with you here? And I, I said, sure, man. It's, it's, it's good, I guess. And, um, and, uh, and so we're, we're sitting there, and, and, um, and JR just is like, I mean, he is a chatty Kathy. He just wants to talk. And, and I, before we get off the runway, I got this guy's life story. And his story was, in, is, was crazy because he, you know, he had been uh, divorced because he was in prison. And uh, he'd been in prison because he got a felony because he was a thief. And he got caught stolen some things. And now he was in this place where he just felt kind of emasculated as a man because he couldn't find a job because he had a felony and uh, he's just opening his heart to me. He doesn't know I'm a pastor or anything like that. And, and he says, and to top it all off, I'm going to see my in-laws for Christmas, and they're religious. And uh, I'm thinking, uh-oh, here we go. And, uh, and so he, he goes on to talk about this particular uh, denomination that's, that's very rigid, uh, legalistically rigid, I would say, uh, about certain uh, things. And he, he, uh, he just said, I, you know, you know, they're always looking over my shoulder because they don't trust me because I got a felony and they're just always just hanging those things over my head and I can't live up to all the things that they've done their whole life. I don't know the stories. I don't, I don't, I don't you know, I've never been a part of a church. I've never done these things. And, and he said, I'm just not into that. I just can't, I can't live up to it. Uh, I'm glad Jesus works for them, um, but I just can't keep jumping through all these religious hoops. I just can't do it. So he said, I'm just, I just want to stay somewhere else. I don't even want to be with them. And, and at this point, JR and I are talking. I said, JR, um, I, got, I got really good news for you. So that's not the Jesus I know. That's not the gospel that sets you free. And so we, we, we talk. It's a two and a half hour flight. We talk at this point. And, and as we get off the plane, he kind of shook my hand, gave me a hug, and he said, You know, I'd follow that Jesus. I just wonder how many people around you would follow that Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the gospel that sets us free, that Jesus came to set the captives free, to proclaim the year of liberty, 
And Lord, we ask that, that you, would, you would set us free. There are some in this room today that are just tied up in religion. All they know is they're not where they want to be and they don't know how to get there. Would you come into their hearts today more fully or for the first time, Jesus, and set them free? Show them how much you've done, how much you've accomplished for their hearts to be set free. And Lord, for those that are in here that are seeking to, to live a life of liberty so that we can enjoy Jesus and serve the world, would you show us and give us wisdom? Would you convict us in the areas where we're off base today? Would you, would you comfort us in the, in the areas where, where we're, we're, we're still being weaned off of the religion that's given us so much false comfort for so long? Would you set us free, Jesus? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.